0: As-salamu alaykum. Welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will, and today's guest is Andrea Gabadon. Uh, She is doing great things as an educational consultant, and I wanted to bring her on to share her experiences and how she has built a business providing value, and hopefully that will inspire you to do the same thing. So for those who will be listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Simplecast, and Apple Podcasts, will you please introduce yourself?
1: Yes, uh, my name is Andrea Torero gabadon based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been an educator here in Philadelphia for over the last 10 years. Um, My heart is definitely in the city, and uh, I've been able to leverage some great opportunities that have been provided, as well as gifts and talents, to uh, take that work, uh, abroad so again I'm, I'm in the city but I've been able to work in Germany we've done some startup schools all over Philly done some work in Jersey as well um, and so I'm very excited not just to do the work that I do but also blessed for this opportunity
0: awesome awesome I've been to Philly um, a couple of years <laughs> a couple of years ago mm-hmm. it was an interesting city to go to um, you know, on the drive in, once I got to the airport, I was kind of like, Yeah, but then once I got there, it was kind of like, Okay, though the market was very interesting.
1: The Reading Terminal Market, yes, okay. Now, uh, did we treat you well because Philly it can be scattershot sometimes? So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I never ran into any bad people, though it was just you know to get there, and of course, you know, traveling and you hear about Philly and the uh the whole Philly cheese thing. And so I had about three, from th- three different places,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: three or four different places. So the wife and I, uh, we had a, had an interesting time. We were there for ISTE.
1: Okay, yes.
0: And, and ISTE will be back in Philly this summer. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So it
0: was cool.
1: Philly is a great city. Um, it is, it's gritty, it's real. Um, and that's what I love about it. Uh, the kids are real. I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I love what I do in terms of being a consultant and uh, working with leaders and teachers, but the kids are, the kids are amazing in this city um, in terms of like, they will give you the best and most valuable feedback of Anyone over the age of 18, right? So if you just need to know, like, what is going on, whether it's your practice or whether it's, you know, what's going on in the neighborhood or in the city, uh, or even on, like, the national kind of scale, right? Like, the kids are amazing. So I'm happy you enjoyed Philly cheesesteaks and the Reading Terminal Market. um, And hopefully, you know, you can come back, meet some of our youth, uh, because we have some, like, dynamic kids in the
0: city. Awesome, awesome. So how did you find... Yourself in K-12 education, what did you envision for your life when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, great question. So initially, I wanted to be an engineer. Um, And so growing up, I loved Legos and I loved working with my hands. Um, And I initially planned for that to be the direction that my life was going in. Um, And when I was in my last two years of high school, I pivoted and uh, I went to a public school and that was actually really powerful for me because I went you know, the majority of my education was very like high expectations, warm, loving faculty, um, great kind of school environment. But then I shifted to a very, um, it was still a suburban school out in New Jersey, uh, but very low expectations. And so kind of what I had envisioned for myself changed. Um, and honestly while it was a tough environment to kind of finish out my last couple of years of education i'm grateful for it because um, i learned kind of how i wanted to to live my life i saw what it was like in a great school i saw what it was like in not so great a school and i saw how that impacted my own sense of self and my belief in my uh, abilities and so it was in high school when i said all right i'm going to be a teacher um because I don't want kids to experience what happened to me um, in terms of just being 16 or 17 and feeling like they're very real effects of low expectations and not caring about kids and being disinvested um, in class because it felt like my teachers were disinvested in me. Um, And so that is a decision that I made 16, 17, went to Temple University, um, studied Spanish education, Uh, And so I initially started out my career as a Spanish teacher in the public school district. Um, And then obviously, I'm sure we'll get there, but there have been multiple kind of twists and turns along that journey.
0: Hmm. So as a K through 12 educator, you have been a part of turning a school around as well as increasing ACT scores. Take me back to when you started thinking that you could actually make a greater impact outside of the system.
1: Great question. So in terms of my involvement with the turnaround, I started, like I said, working in public schools um, in Philly and then transitioned to the turnaround. Um, And the year that I decided to do that, that was a a time period in which there were a lot of turnaround uh, ventures being accomplished specifically here in Philly. Uh, So it was a, a significant increase in terms of the turnaround ventures that were started uh, many schools were also closed that year. So it was a really kind of interesting year for the educational climate. And my desire to transition to the turnaround was actually somewhat selfish um, in the sense that the network that I was going to be working with actually had a great professional development program. And I really wanted to grow in my craft. So my desire for the for working in the turnaround wasn't out of the savior complex. It wasn't, I'm going to go help these kids, but rather how can I increase uh, my own effectiveness as a classroom educator? What can I learn? And also, um, I was considered one of like the better teachers in the school that I was transitioning from. So I also saw it as an opportunity for me to take what I already had and I can now bring it to a new context. And uh, the the turnaround was great. I'm still connected with them, Um, started out as a teacher later on as an assistant uh, principal after I got my principal certification. And kind of everything that I did with them really was out of a desire to Serve the community, serve the kids, but then also just to maximize these different opportunities. So as you talk about the shift from being a school administrator to then working as a consultant and working directly with districts and schools, again, that really became an opportunity for me to uh, think about how can I apply my skill set to a certain opportunity in a way that can benefit someone else. Um, And that's always been kind of my own, again, my own personal conviction conviction in terms of what can I do to help someone else to do the best that I can with whatever opportunity comes my way. Um, And I I think that's especially important, um, especially, you know, being a person of color and seeing and working in communities with kids that look like me. I don't want to stray too far away from my mission, but rather, you know, if I have a gift, if I have an opportunity, if I have a skill, if I have a talent, let me sink my roots deep um, because, again, going back to kind of what, what prompted me to be an educator in the first place was my desire to help other kids um, that look like me so that ultimately they can go farther uh, than I have ever been able to.
0: Excellent. So you founded ILM Consultant Group. Yes. Tell me the story behind creating the company and what is the work you sought out to do?
1: So ILM Consulting is grounded in the mission of equipping educators to accelerate student outcomes through practice-oriented professional learning and coaching. And so um, ILM really was birthed out of my own love for coaching and professional development. Uh, That really started out of my own intrinsic desire to improve my craft. But then also working in the turnaround, I really found that experientially that professional development and coaching were powerful tools uh, that could change the course or the trajectory of a building um, and also increase staff morale which if you think about urban education and you think about wanting to retain high quality talent we want to make sure that we're not just developing that talent but that we're um, sustaining their development in a way that makes them feel like they're growing and therefore they want to stay in that context and so as I was looking to transition out of uh, that leadership role at the turnaround school, through a series of conversations with like, former colleagues and former bosses, this idea of consulting just came up, and it had never occurred to me. <laughs> but it really was like, hey, you have this gift. You you love coaching. You love professional development. I mean, I've mentored aspiring principals. I've been. I also went to. Um, university of pennsylvania grad school of education and i've mentored some of their teachers as well and i still am doing work with them and so they're like, why don't you just apply that in a business sense um, so that you can ultimately continue the work that you love to do um, and so i connected with my various members of my professional network as well as a lot of business owners that i know and just began to crafting Crafting the business. I learned a lot about business. I took some business classes. Um, I had a lot, bought a lot of coffee for people <laughs> to pick their brain about what business looks like and how to navigate um, the complexities of a business and um, was able ultimately to kind of launch uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's been great. We've been able to serve a um, Oh, goodness. Now it's about 35 to 40 schools, again, both nationally and internationally. We have done the work in Germany, which has been exciting, but all of it's been either directly coaching leaders and teachers or, again, through that practice-oriented professional development. So it's not sit and get. I'm not a sage on the stage, but let me, uh, let's actually implement. Let's, let's, let's do the work now so that when you're walking out of our session and two hours, four hours, six hours, you're equipped uh, to make change in your your school.
0: Mm. So you talk about uh, the coaching and the practice oriented work that you do. How did you inventory your experiences and what energizes you as an educator to determine the direction of the company?
1: Right. So initially a lot of The business model, in and of itself, right—the essential services that we provide came out of those conversations that I had with leaders. Um, And so, one thing that I learned about business, in particular, is that you can have a great business, but if there isn't a need, then you're not going to go very far with your business. And so, that initial inventory was me reaching out to leaders that I knew, right? I studied in a principal certification program. So I'm connected through Penn, I'm connected through Temple, uh, connected through various, you know, working in the public school sector and, and the independent school sector here in Philly, as well as in New Jersey. And so I invited leaders to coffee and lunch. And I asked them, you know, what do you need for your context? What are the strengths of your building? What are the strengths of your district? Where are the areas that you wanna grow? Where are you not getting support? And let me share with you kind of what I'm envisioning for this company. And does this seem like the right stuff? And so essentially what I'm doing through getting those, uh, through through buying people coffee is I'm getting feedback, right? And I'm able to refine the business model um, even more. And so that's been really helpful um, in order to determine the direction of the company. I also implemented and still implement to some extent what's called a lean methodology. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Okay, so lean methodology is essentially a business or entrepreneurial approach where you, instead of creating like a multi-page business plan, like many of people are taught to do in business classes, it's essentially a one-page business plan that it touches every part of a business from marketing to your services, to your prospective um, clients, to your unique value proposition uh, but what is strategic about this document is one, it's very easy to complete. Two, the idea is that you return to this document and after you proceed in your business and identify what works and what doesn't work, you then adjust uh, the business model on this lean um, lean canvas, it's called. And so it's really been a combination of that, um, again, the coffee, <laughs> getting feedback from external stakeholders using lean method, uh, lean methodology. Um, I also work, and this isn't very unusual for a consultancy, uh, like mine, but we also work with a board. And so our board is made up of, um, uh, business owners, entrepreneurs. Uh, we have some educators, uh, we have researchers on our board and the purpose of the board is to really help inform the direction of the company. So I meet with them, Again, buy them coffee (laughs) Uh, because we want to value their time and their investment as they're speaking into this business. Um, But they're able to hold us accountable, not just to our mission alignment, but also to the direction that we're heading in. Is it the right direction? Are we partnering with the right clients? Are we um, making wise decisions? Are the services that we're providing true to what we said that we can do? Um, And they also help me examine outcomes. Um, so that our outcomes are truly rooted in what's evidence-based and not just kind of what I'm saying works or me finagling the data. Um, So it's a great source of essentially just operating in community because I believe that um, the best and wisest decisions are not made in isolation, but rather you should have others speak into that. And it's been very helpful for me in the business sense. Mm
0: -hmm. So I want to throw this out there to you. I want to know about the or get an inside scoop of your coaching practices take me inside what what do they look like
1: yeah that's great so for for teachers or for leaders
0: Either, either one
1: either one all right so let's say i'm working with a teacher um Typically, when I am working directly with teachers or when a member of my team is working directly with teachers, uh, it's because the leader has identified that there's a need. Um, And so I'll typically go in with the leader, um, maybe do a couple of observations on the front end, kind of assess what we believe are the strengths as well as opportunities for growth with that teacher in relation to some larger strategic goal. Right, so we don't just work in uh, isolation, uh, but if we're building capacity for a school, we do so in relation to, whether it's the schools literacy goals, whether it's their ACT goals, whether it's their PSSA goals, but we wanna support um, and build capacity in the most high leverage way possible. Um, So after those initial observations, we meet with the teacher, get their input, what do they believe their strengths are? Where do they wanna grow? I really believe it's important to have an asset-based mindset. And so we always want to start out with what are your strengths? Like where, where do you think you're knocking it out of the park? Where are your kids strong? Because that is an excellent launching pad to then help them increase their, the effectiveness of their practice. We think about kids all the time when we hear a lot of the deficit narrative, especially with urban youth, um, and, and, and that's not right, right? There's also a narrative that's happening right now nationally about teachers, and teachers aren't effective. No. How can we celebrate and and name what you're good at? Um, not only does that build rapport, but like I said, that's a great way to then identify how do we leverage what you're good at to then support maybe the areas that we need to improve. Um, and then from there, it's a very simple cycle of establishing an action step with that teacher, practicing that action step, then getting that teacher into the classroom. Let's observe, let's see how it went. And then afterwards we'll do a debrief and some more practice. But what makes ILM unique is that idea of practice. So it's not just, hey, maybe you need to plan more check for understanding questions. It's, hey, let's pull out your lesson plan, let's actually identify what your key points are, Where do we need to build in Check for Understanding questions? Mm -hmm. Now that we've already built some out, let's maybe look at a a different lesson, maybe for the following day. Now you try it on your own. And so just like we talk about um, uh, guided release with students, we do the same thing. I will model the skill. I provide exemplars of whatever that skill is. Very important, especially if it's a planning skill. Uh, We'll practice it together, and then I release you. You do it on your own within the context of our coaching meeting so that it's a safe environment and I can give you feedback and if you mess up, that's okay. But we wanna build that muscle memory so that when you go live in front of kiddos, you have the confidence you need to implement that skill well. Not that the teacher's gonna get it perfect every time, but we wanna practice and maximize every opportunity we have to get you up on your feet and improve your skill. Because ultimately, in my opinion, and I'm sure you would agree with me, student achievement is an urgent matter. Um, especially, you know, my background is in high school. Kids, <laughs> they have, what, one, two, three, four years of high school left before they go into the real world. And we don't want to waste their time, uh, nor do we ever want to waste an educator's time.
0: That's all, right. That's all right. So earlier you mentioned having a board of people to work with. Mm -hmm. to provide sort of a guide to make sure that you are moving in the right direction. Uh, What are some of the marketing strategies that you employ to attract clients? And when do you know when a job doesn't align with who you are as an educator?
1: Great. So um, in terms of marketing, our marketing plan has greatly changed from when we first started until now. Uh, So the first year that it started, it was very much cold calling, cold emails to schools, um, doing even some like low-level volunteer work in schools just to get our uh, name and our brand out there. Uh, We also would connect directly with districts, so finding out at the district level who's over professional development or who's over coaching or who's working with outside contractors and again just get introducing ourselves you know showing our branded materials and, and and making sure that we became a recognizable name for that district really what it's come to now in terms of marketing is word of mouth um, that i would say has been probably the single most effective tool uh, to increase our partnerships i would also say just leveraging professional networks uh, introduction from clients um, i also do a lot of speaking engagements um, and so speaking at local conferences speaking at national conferences um has been a great tool for me to not just share kind of the work that we do but then also provide that opportunity for other educators to get connected with us um, if they're if they're interested in doing so Mm -hmm. so that's the first part of your question right because you asked about marketing strategies Mm -hmm. is that correct yes the second part Could you mind repeating the second part of your question, please?
0: When do you know that a job doesn't align with who you are as an educator?
1: So that is the money question right there, honestly, (laughs) because I think many, in my experience um, as an entrepreneur, I find that There is a lot of pressure to take whatever work you can as it comes. And I think that's also something that sets us apart because I do believe it's important to be selective with who you partner with. Um, And so there are some red flags uh, that I've learned about over time. Um, It's essential to learn from your mistakes and to reflect and to get feedback from the board. So some of those red flags that I would say would be uh, if there's clients that um, want us to completely own a project, but they're not willing to invest their time or share their resources um, in order to allow us to be effective. So an example of that might be, hey, we want you to create this manual, but we won't tell you what the goals of the manual are. Or we want you to support our literacy strategic plan, but we won't share our data with you. We won't let you in classrooms to observe current practices. Um, or we want you to coach teachers, but we don't want you in their classrooms more than once a week, or they're not willing to follow up with their own teaching staff to confirm that the, uh, the coaching practices and action steps are being implemented. That's what I mean when I say, uh, not willing, when, when you see a, a, a potential partner or client is not willing to invest, uh, their own time or resources or support their staff's own investment of time and resources. So for example, um, I, don't, I don't ask um, clients to, I don't ask you know principals to sit in every PD because I, I know that's really challenging. Principals are busy people and I get that. But sometimes there may be a session where it's essential that the principal sits in but if the principal is just on the computer the entire time, that's not showing the professional model to their staff that this is worth their time. And that's going to ultimately impact the client. It doesn't really impact me, um, but it's not going to allow our work to be as effective as it can. And I think that's where we need to be as entrepreneurs willing to walk away um, when that client is just not responsive or not willing to be invested. And I think it's important to have straight talks at that conversation. Um, it's very important to clearly outline uh, both verbally and in writing what you expect from the client in terms of their responsiveness of communication, their presence, their investment, outlining the exact tools that you need, um, that you need to be successful. Um, and again, we're all adults. We wanna assume the best of people, uh, but it's also our responsibility, like I said, as, a, as the entrepreneurs to, to make our expectations super clear so that we're also setting up, um, the clients for success.
0: So the, the, what I, the cool thing I like about consulting is it doesn't cost a lot of money, I guess, to get your business off the ground. You don't have a lot of overhead, Mm -hmm. but when you are building an actual business as what you're doing, How should an educator determine or decide how much time and money to invest in their business?
1: This is also another great question. (laughs) Um, And and it's hard to respond in the sense that there isn't a hard and fast rule. Um, I don't think it's possible to say, hey, you can do it under $500 or do it under $250. I think it's important to first identify what are the essentials um, in terms of, insurance like what what is your business need based on your model based on your services in order to be effective and also to be legitimate and i say legitimate in terms of um, you want to make sure that we are holding to whatever legal parameters exist so does your business model require insurance Um, i have to hold insurance because i'm going into schools i am uh, working with kids uh, or around kids, even though i 'm not working directly with kids, but that requires a specific type of insurance, and so that is something that I would encourage beginning business over business owners, excuse me, to take into account. I would also have them think about like website um, what are some basic marketing things that you need? What can you do yourself um, in order to save money, and then Obviously, things like an LLC or however you're choosing uh, to formalize your business that also includes a cost. Um, so once you identify the essentials, I would develop a budget. ILM has a budget that we um, that we had when we first started. We have a budget now, um, and so it's really important that after you identify what it is that you need, that you stick within the parameters of those of that budget. Um, and that you're also continuing to solicit advice from others. I think sometimes as an entrepreneur or working in isolation, it's easy to get caught up in, I need this banner in order to participate in this conference. Or if I'm going to be a vendor at a fair, I need to have X amount for giveaways. Um, But again, I have found wonderfully creative people that have been able to help me kind of cut costs by thinking about, how I can do things in a way that is not cheap, but rather in a way that's cost effective um, while still looking sharp, crisp, and professional. Uh, Because we don't want to cut costs. It does take money to make money, but you also want to be wise in how much you are choosing to spend, um, especially when you're starting out.
0: So as an entrepreneur, do you think it's better to focus the work on one thing or be good at multiple things?
1: Definitely better to focus on one thing, in my opinion. Um, And the reason why is because I mentioned earlier about using the Lean Canvas and having um, uh, a belief or a practice of refining your business model. And it is very challenging to refine your business model when you're offering seven services. Um, it is hard to, and it's not impossible, right? But if you are, let's say one person or two people, I would suggest narrow on What, what are you best at? What are you known as even as a professional and how can you refine that focus area so that after every job, after every interaction with a client, you can improve your craft. And again, it's much easier to do that on one thing. Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to give an A-plus to every client. You want to give an A-plus to every job to the best of your ability. Um, you don't want to give a C on a project because you haven't implemented that service in a while. That's not doing the right thing by kids, and it's not doing the right thing by clients. I'll also say um, being mission and vision oriented is super essential because if you have a clear mission, that'll allow you to identify that one or two things um, that uh, really move your company forward. And we've all worked in schools. We're all educators, uh, you and I, as well as the listeners. And, and we've been in districts and schools to try to focus on seven initiatives, and they don't work. And so as we're branching out and doing our own thing, let's think about You know those essentials. What's our vision and mission? What's our what are our commitments? What are those one or two services? How can we refine those over time and really build that business model out? And if those services that you're identifying aren't marketable, if there isn't, um, if there aren't prospective clients enough to really allow that to be a profitable business, then maybe you do need to change. But again, don't don't have such an exhaustive menu that you don't know at what you're good at. At the end of the day,
0: awesome, awesome. Thank you. you you've been dropping some gems today.
1: <laughs> it's it's a, you're a great interviewer. What can I say?
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Hopefully, people will feel that way for the documentary that's coming out next next week.
1: Exciting! Very exciting. I want to hear more about that.
0: <laughs> yes, the entrepreneur. Uh, before we go, what is the best advice that you've received from another entrepreneur and how necessary is it to have a mentor to guide you through the uh, entrepreneurial journey
1: so at the onset of this work i did not know any entrepreneurs. i don't even think i knew what that word was to be very honest um, however I will say that while I didn't receive advice from, directly from entrepreneurs, I did have a large network of professionals, both inside and outside education, that were bought into what I was doing, who were willing to support, or who were just interested in me as a person and were willing to meet up for coffee. And so when I think about this idea of mentorship, it's essential. And I would encourage us not just to think about mentorship from another educator, even though that can be valuable, but who are people within your network that you can reach out to um, and how are you leveraging those professional relationships to move you forward? Um, So in terms of identifying mentors, I would suggest if someone is looking to transition, I would say network, get your name out there, Uh, reach out to people even if you haven't talked to them for years like don't be ashamed like that's networking and say hey you know I'd love to just catch up buy you a cup of coffee what time works for you Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 that can really move you a really long way because what that does is that then allows you to learn more about what's the need out there it helps you identify people that Maybe not someone who has the time or capacity to be a mentor, but maybe someone who has something that they can uh, provide in terms of like insight or advice uh, based on their experiences and so um, again, mentors I think, are great, but you know once life gets busy and you have you know husband, wife, kids, you know family responsibilities, and life gets busy. Whoever and however you can tap into people so that you're not operating in isolation is definitely essential. And being strategic about those conversations, whether it's, again, it's a mentor or you're just getting coffee with someone. Whenever I would meet with someone, and still to this day, I actually script out my questions. I have networking goals. Um, If it's a conference, I'm like, all right, I want to meet three people who are really good at this thing because I want to learn about it. Like, be strategic um, as you're creating these pathways for yourself. Um, and whatever it is, I would always encourage uh, people just to reach out and get counsel at every stage of the business development process, whether, again, it's a, it's one mentor or it's several people. Don't operate by yourself. You know, vet your ideas against someone else. Um, return to your ideas. Read a lot. Do a lot of research figure out what's out there, reach out to other uh, entrepreneurs, other business owners, even if they're your competition, that's okay. You can still be civil and learn. And and, uh, I think that's something that can definitely bring value to any prospective business owner.
0: All right. All right. I'd like to thank my guest today, Andrea Gabadon for coming on the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciated this time. And uh, again, Wish you all the best, especially with your documentary
0: coming up. You are welcome. Thank you. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Simple Cast, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, follow, and share because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. People, this thank you checking out this podcast. This is the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, invest in you, EDU, peace.